Taboo Talks, where we want you to just do you and shatter these taboos. I'm your host, Natalie Cruz, and today's topic is chronic illnesses and conditions. And joining me in on this conversation is my friend, Ramona. Ramona, hello. Hi, Natalie. How are you doing? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's good. I know, because <laughs> we're talking about chronic illnesses. So I'm just like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? It's been a tough couple of days, so I think this is a good time to have the conversation. That's excellent, because I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, why I think that chronic Ill- illnesses and conditions are such a taboo topic um, is because for women especially, I feel like women silently suffer um, with conditions and things like that, like ranging from lupus, mm-hmm. multiple sclerosis, um, to fibromyalgia, and like because you know we're considered the ones who are taking care of other people or you know usually you know we feel this certain type of way where we don't want to tell people that we're not feeling well or you know we kind of get caught up in this this game of like well if i tell someone that i feel well they're gonna like i'm lying or i don't know i just an excuse an excuse right i don't know What, what what's your experience on that Um, So I think for me, one of the things that I've come to understand lately is the idea, especially coming from a Hispanic background, um, that you're told a lot, you know, this is in your head. Like I remember I would complain at a younger age. Um, I had some injuries in my spine when I was a child. Um, And as I got older, I suppress that pain and I think that that pain is part of the mechanical issues that have merged with the chronic illness that I suffer from um so we could probably go over like what those are yeah I mean that'll really so like what was the first sign that you realized that you really actually had not just like you weren't just sick you know for a couple days or a couple weeks it was like an actual chronic condition yeah so it wasn't mental (laughs) when I started waking up every day and I would um I remember I was like 24 and I was living with a roommate at the time and had a full-time job and, you know, had graduated college. So I was like 23 going on 24. Um, I was making good money, was traveling. And all of a sudden I started getting this pain in my left hip. And in the mornings I would wake up and like, I could no longer um, just sit up. I had to turn over to my side and like push myself up. And after doing that for a few weeks, I was like, okay, well, this is not going away. It's not getting better. It's kind of a pain that is surfacing to a certain level and then staying there. Um, And I remember going to my PCP and he was white. um, And I had started seeing him when I got kicked out of my pediatrician's office. So I felt really, you know, connected to him. And I think I had started seeing him when I was like 16 so he had kind of seen me go from like being a teenager to now like a young adult. Um, and he was like, you know, the things that you're describing, blood tests that you take and it can come up positive. Oh, wow. Um, rheumatoid factor test. Uh, uh, but um, no, it was interesting because I got the diagnosis and then I got the instruction of like, you now need to start seeing a rheumatologist. Um, and you were 24 and that was years really, old. Yeah, I was going on 24. So it was really kind of numbing, I would say, because I didn't know 
how to have the conversation with my family. Um, I was in a relationship at the time that wasn't very supportive. Um, so I didn't really have like the emotional space to like say like, hey, this is what's happening. So I tried to handle it on my own. And I was going to see this rheumatologist and he was in um, and was very aggressive with the treatment that he decided to put me on. And I didn't respond well to it. And it's actually the treatment that they put me on again now, which is methotrexate. So methotrexate is a type of um, chemo, which is a low dose chemo and you take it in pill form or injections. There was a point where it was actually pulled off the market. Oh my God. And they had to reevaluate. Yeah. So they had to reevaluate the uses. And I remember taking it. And at the time I worked for a hotel um, company and I would be at work and I would, I thought maybe I'm getting narcolepsy because I would pass out all the time. Um, and I was nauseous all the time and I just didn't feel well all of the time. Um, in the 15 years since then, because I'm 37 now, um, or like 13 years, they've changed some of the regulations around the drugs. So now I take it differently. I take it once a week. Um, and there is a lot more attention to women that take it. We have to take folic acid. We have to um, have our liver checked now, like every month. These were not things that were done 13 years ago. And then in addition to that, I got warned not to have any alcohol and not to get pregnant. So it wasn't like at the time I wasn't getting information. I wasn't really supported. And because I was living on my own, I didn't really have, like I said, like the support and then the understanding to like have the conversation. And I didn't know anybody else that felt the way I felt. Um, so since that first diagnosis, like I've gone from the labels of like fibromyalgia to scoliosis to, um, osteoarthritis to the umbrella condition, um, I would say is ankylosing spondylitis is a label that they like to use because it does include, in addition to the physical symptoms that I exhibit, like inflammation, um, like pain, um, some bone spurring in my lower spine, um, a hernia in my lower spine, it does affect intestines as well. So I remember for like a long time, like I would eat and I would like say like, oh, you know, I'm bloated or, you know, I feel like gassy or I feel like uncomfortable or like this food's not agreeing with me. Because there isn't a space again created to talk about what it is to live every day with these symptoms and recognize them as part of a disease and not part of like your personal weakness. I would get the whole, oh, you know, that's just your stomach. That's just the way things are. Um, I think all of that changed around like 2014 for me. That's when the symptoms got really bad. Um, so I basically went like 30 days where my ulcerative colitis um, was in a flare up and I was bleeding every so day. So you were, um, you my, were just bleeding 30 days straight? Rectally. Yeah. For, so like rectally for oh like 30 God. days, I had some amount of blood that was coming out of me. And I had been to the Dominican Republic. I had caught like some sort of bacteria and like bad water. I got back to Hawaii where I lived at the time and I went in and they were like, oh, you know, maybe it's just again. They're like, oh, maybe it's just <laughs> um, something else. And they're like, maybe it's just, you know, you caught that bacteria and it's like affecting your gut. And then 15 days in, they're like, no, this is not 
you know, you don't bleed for 15 days because you drank bad water. Um, and I had already done uh, a whole line of like steroids and I took other medications to kill like whatever was going on. Um, and then at that point, the conversation changed from this is just not only pain, but it's also affecting um, your intestines oh and your stomach. So at this so, but so at this point, you've basically yeah. been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, um, mm-hmm. the uh, colitis, right? Also, yes. yep. fibromyalgia, am I correct? And yes. scoliosis and like two other things that I can't pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> so are, and at any point, are they telling you like, okay, this one organ is creating all these problems for you, or you have this rare blood type that is just wreaking havoc on your immune system and everything else. Or are they just like throwing their hands up? Like, you know what? You're just like a medical mystery. I have no idea what to do for you. So it's interesting. Cause this week I went to go see an orthopedic surgeon. Um, so there was an opinion at one point that maybe if I addressed the hernia, that's getting too close to the nerves in my spine that some of the nerve pain would go away. And then that would take away, you know, one issue. Um, So I went to go see them and like the chief of surgery was there at the hospital for special surgery. And he was like, yeah, you know, we can't really do anything for you. And he's like, you know, it's like they were able to pull all of my files from Mount Sinai and Columbia and basically everywhere that I've been in New York since I moved back to New York. So for the last two years, and they're like, you know, you're like this patchwork where some of my medication will make me feel better with symptoms one, two, and three, but it won't address four, five, and six. So the question for me has become now with my primary care physician, which is very open-minded and very supportive, um, what is it that the goal needs to always be my quality of life? So when I have a flare up and I get a muscle spasm or I start having colitis symptoms, um, the question becomes like, is the medication that I'm on diminishing all of these negatives to the point where I can live the life that I want to live? Um, Nothing has been a fix all for me. Um, And I I would say because I've been dealing with it for 14 years, I think the big changes that have happened is Facebook has become a source of not only information, but community. So yeah, it's weird because I'm an introvert, so I don't really go around telling people. And it also upsets me when I tell people and they're like, oh my God, but you don't look sick. And I'm like... Well, thank you, because I am yeah, sick. I mean, there's no way um, that you can... I mean, there's different sicks. Like, you can be coughing, and then there's, like, internal sick that you mm-hmm. can't see, and people just don't get that. They don't get at that at all. And I think especially in our community, um, when people see me, they can be very insensitive. Like, I've had, you know, being Dominican, I've had people tell me, oh, well, you need, you know, what well, will we'll make you better is if you get yourself a good man. Because that's definitely like, the, getting the cure. a man <laughs> is not going to fix all of these symptoms. Um, or like I've had, I'll, again, I'll have people in my own family that are like, oh, it's so mental. 
you know, what you're feeling, like, this is not real. Um, and I've been told by numerous people, you know, this is in your head. And I, these are people that I thought were family and that were supposed to be part of my support group and were friends that were almost family. And they're, they've shown to me that, you know, they don't deserve to be part of that group that I depend on because they lack a certain amount of empathy that's necessary to deal with chronic illness. And I don't think that our community has reached the point in wokeness where they're able to do that. So going back to Facebook, like that's the place where I decided one day to just type in the name of ankylosing spondylitis and found a group where I was able to finally meet people, um, my age, my gender, not usually my background because it seems to be more common um, that the membership is of white people. Really? So I don't know if so that maybe means that there's less people of color that, that have the disease or less people of color are participating. Okay. I don't know the answer to that, but um, it's become the place where I go um, for the ankylosing spondylitis and for the ulcerative colitis. Um, I've even joined like a local support group that has the Facebook aspect and we meet in person here in New York. That's amazing. And yeah, like we're all in different stages of the disease. We've all been diagnosed at different times. We've all um, seen onset come on very differently. But in that group, I also would say that the majority are non-colored. So the last time that we had a meeting... It was just myself and a Puerto Rican guy and everybody else is white. Um, so I don't know that our community is coming forward and saying, no, there's something wrong here. Like, I know that there's something wrong. This is not mental. Um, that might be a part of the issue. And then a second part of it might be when they do come forward, do they feel you know completely isolated? Because a lot of times when I go to see my doctors, I am the only young person in the room. So, and I don't look like I belong so there. So does this, does this condition actually happen to people who are older? Um, so rheumatoid arthritis tends to come on a lot for children. Ankylosing spondylitis, it's my understanding it can come in like your early 20s. So around the time that I started showing some of the symptoms that now fall under it, um, it is about right. This tends to be, you know, when it comes about, but again, like each person's experience is different because this one Puerto Rican guy that I met last month, he was just diagnosed, I want to say like two or three years ago, but by the time that they diagnosed him, his spine had completely fused into a bamboo spine is what they call it, where you lose mobility in your spine. Oh my God. And it looks like bamboo. Um, can he, can he bend? No. So a lot of the people in my support group, um, we have to like tilt completely. So like, if you're talking to me from the right side, I have to turn to the right. I can't just like pivot my head over. And when I'm in a flare, I see that limited mobility becomes a bigger problem, but there's some members that have no mobility and have completely curved, um, instead of having like the spine that, goes up and down in like a straight line it's kind of becoming an s and you can see it in the way that they sit where it's already gripped them completely um and is there a cure so it's different for every person no okay and so at this moment what have your doctors said like are they at least 
I'm hope the, the thing that I hope for, and especially since it's such a taboo with just conditions in general that are chronic, that in the medical field, in the medical industry, that there's some sort of empathy or some sort of, um, you know, support system, you know what I mean? Where they're just like, well, this mm-hmm. is what you have and this is something that you're going to live with. But, you know, let's, mm-hmm. besides giving you drugs, besides, you know, giving you medications and things like that to cope with the pain, like, what can we do to help you with your quality of life going forward? Because if, you know, if there's no known, known cure right now, like, what can you do besides medication to help with any of the things? Like, are the the doctors helping you? And I way? think that, I think that's something that's, you can see it more in the younger doctors. Okay. So when I was seeing older rheumatologists, they were used to treating, in my opinion, people with diseases like osteoarthritis that come on at a later age and there's like a clear cut way to help someone that's in their 80s not lose more bone and maintain, you know, mobility and avoid fractures. So they were very equipped to handle someone like my grandmother. You know, she takes her pills every Saturday they don't really affect her. They just make sure that the disease doesn't progress and that her bones don't become fragile. When someone like me walks in to a doctor that's only used to dealing with that type of problem, I think my service then starts lacking. And this is where I've had to break up um, with a few doctors. And like the last rheumatologist that I had, it was a very volatile breakup because I kept demanding that he take me holistically into consideration into the treatment plan and he wanted to follow the steps that he wanted to follow and those steps weren't honoring what I knew I needed and I knew I needed an MRI and he kept arguing with me and I'm like dude I need an MRI and then when I got the MRI through another doctor and I went and threw it in his face things got a little testy and I knew that there was going to be an exchange that wasn't going to be good But I felt like I needed to advocate for myself because he lost sight of what you just mentioned, which is if this is not a disease that has a cure, then the goal has to be my quality of life. Exactly. And if you're not helping improve my quality of life, then you're doing a disservice to me. Like putting me on Humira and me having what's called the Humira flu every two weeks where I would have flu symptoms at every time that I injected myself and then I would have injection site, like where I would have welts come out every time that I injected myself in the injection site and I would have an allergic reaction to it and I would be weak and I would be fatigued and I would be depressed. Like this is not your quality. No, exactly. Your quality of life, if anything, is like becoming worse. So, I mean, my PCP um, has, like I said, a more holistic approach Um, He's a specific type of doctor. I don't remember who it was that told me to look in like the directory of people that took my insurance and find what he does, but he takes the whole person into account. Oh, he's an osteopath. So, yes. So he's an osteopath. My brain is also really foggy um, with this illness. (laughs) No worries. So thank you. (laughs) But he's an osteopath and he understands you know i see a nutritionist i go to physical therapy i'm encouraged to get second opinions i am not encouraged to be on drugs like oxy i'm encouraged you know to accept when i'm in a flare-up and i don't feel well 
then yeah, take the oxy, lay down, you know, do as little as possible and drug yourself to get through that episode. But that's not the norm. So he and I have come up with a plan where I adjust as necessary. Um, my new rheumatologist, she's much younger. So she's published more recently. And then she works with the chief of the clinic that I go to. And together between his experience and her having a fresh eye, I think it works really well. So when I have a conversation with her tomorrow, it's going to be like, hey, so I've been on methotrexate and now I'm up to six pills. And I was afraid to like be on the train and I, I got lost and I got disoriented. And yesterday I was nauseous and like I couldn't come home till almost midnight because I couldn't leave where I was because I was too sick to do so. So this is not okay. I don't want to do this every Saturday. So now what's the next option? Um, but like I said, every doctor that I see is conservative with prescriptions, which I appreciate because I think 14 years ago when I first started complaining, anytime I would go into a doctor's office, I would be drugged. I think now with the epidemic that we're having in, Most in America, where now they're more conservative. And I put it up at the front. Like I had to go to the ER in January because I lost mobility. I had a really bad flare up and I was getting locked into place and I just couldn't wait. And I couldn't just get, you know, over the counter stuff. So I, I don't want to be high because they reached the point where they were medicating me. They need us to be able to have a conversation with you about my medical history like a hospital or a doctor's appointment, I have um, a file where I keep all of my information. I keep it updated. I list there the prescriptions that I'm on, the dosages, the labels that I've been given. Um, because I try to call my different diagnosis labels instead of like a diagnosis. Because I think that those are the labels that doctors feel comfortable with, but I don't yeah. own them. Um, so I have all those labels. I have all my allergies. I have my surgery. So I'm the ideal patient when it comes to communication and information, but then they hate it when they get to the point of trying to fix me and they can't. And in an ER situation, especially going somewhere like Harlem hospital, their answer is drug her. But if you drug me and I can't communicate, which is kind of how I felt yesterday when I got lost in Brooklyn, I'm sitting out there like crying. Like I don't know where I'm supposed to be going and I don't know how I'm going to get there. And simple tasks are too difficult. So, like, if I'm in an ER and I feel that way, I can't advocate for myself. And that's super dangerous um, considering, like, yeah. you're the only one who knows what your medication is, what adverse effects things do to your body. And if you are in a state where you're like, I can't remember any of this or I just mm -hmm. don't know where I'm at, like, what the hell? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what are you going to do? And, like, you asked point? earlier, like, you know, is there an advocate? There isn't. You know, you have to... I think it takes a long time with a chronic illness to learn that the doctors don't always know best and that you have to advocate for yourself. It took me a really long time um, because I come from a household where you're supposed to honor your elders and authority figures. So when I would go into my doctor's office, I would be like, hey, so this is kind of how I feel. Like, you know, what are your thoughts? Like, sure. And that's not who I am today. So when I go into a doctor's office now, my question tends to be, okay, well, this is the treatment option that you're giving me. Is this what you would tell yourself? Or is this what you would tell your child? Because if you're not willing to put your child on methotrexate, then why the hell are you putting me on it? Exactly. 
So I've become, I think, a lot more stronger when it comes to having those conversations. But then it's also difficult for a doctor to have a conversation with someone like me because I'm not just going to listen to what you're saying. I'm expecting more. And sometimes they can't do more. Yeah. It's, you're going to give them the pushback because it's your body yeah. and you're the one who's taking all the medication and you know prescriptions that they're giving you. And yes. you're the one who has to deal with the aftermath of that. So like, you know, exactly. like five hours later, you're, you know, vomiting or not feeling well, or, you know, like yesterday, mm-hmm. like case in point, you said you were in Brooklyn and you were lost. Like you're the one who has to deal with that. They get to go home, you know, to their family. Exactly. And feel, you know, nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's something like now, a lot of my friends now have lupus and it was kind of like, like you said, it's a taboo. Like I went to high school with these people and I'm like, so when did you start feeling this? And like, why weren't we talking about this? And why wasn't this obvious? Like, why does it take the lupus walk to happen in 2014 for me to find out that you had that someone that I've known since I was 10 has lupus? And I think in our community, it's a lot, um, this idea of like, keep it to yourself is a lot stronger. And like you were saying with women, it's a lot more, you know, the expectation is you're going to suck it up and you're going to have to be that strong person. And although I don't have children of my own, I get that from my mother. I get it from my grandmother. I get it from my nephew. I've got it from my siblings where there's this understanding of like, no, you're the competent one. And, like, you need to run shit. And, like, you can't run shit if you're sick. So you can't be sick. Um, so when I took custody of my nephew and he lived with me out in Hawaii, it was very difficult to be a full-time parent. And those were things that I didn't have support through and I didn't have the time to go to therapy. And I did have, you know, moms that I knew and we would talk about it. So we would complain about, like, oh, you know, my partner is not being helpful and, like, you know, he's not picking him up at school and like I just you know but you're I'd be crying like all the time like I'd be taking a shower and like four times a week I'd be hysterical in the shower because you're dealing with having to take care of someone else that fully depends on you and then no one's taking care of you um so I think for people that don't have children there's still that pressure because a lot of people assume like oh well if you have like a chronic illness and like you don't have kids and you don't have a man like you must be good exactly like you don't you don't even work like you know you just get to like be home and like chill and i'm like i'm not home chilling like i'm home trying not to throw up try I'm not home to like die to like yeah like i'm trying to like get through the day and i still have you know like days like last night when i walked in and my mom and my grandma didn't do the dishes and i had to make the conscious choice where i was like no, you're not doing the dishes tonight and you're not picking this up tonight and you're not taking care of this tonight. And I had to make the decision today of like, no, I'm not doing anything today because what I need to do is nothing. For and me. that's your, that's and your they're sitting there like, that's your self care. You have to like, exactly. You know, and they're there like stunned, like, wow. So you must be sick. And I'm like, um, yeah, I've been sick for like 13 years. <laughs> so Welcome take a seat because this this is this has been going on and I think you know I I take a lot of responsibility for not being honest and not being vulnerable because I've always presented this facade of like strength and I think the last year was so difficult and even the last two months 
of this year have felt like 2017 squared where like I'm constantly feeling ill and I'm constantly unable to put up the facade and I've had to tell more people like this is what's going on and I've been blessed you know with meeting different people that are able to step up and able to be encouraging and able to be supportive and years I had a huge network of friends I don't have any of those friends anymore um having this illness affects my ability now to one put up the facade and two continue to be who I've been for other people and like my friend Sheena said to me yesterday like I've always been the one that puts myself out there to help people and be there and if you're having a baby I'll come stay with you and if your baby's sick I'll come and stay with your baby but people will see me post something which is by the time that I post on Instagram or Facebook it means like I'm literally emotionally dying because I don't say anything till the last possible moment and I've had people that will like get the benefit of my strength not shoot me a text when they see my weakness and I just I had to make a decision where I was like you know if you cannot be there for who I am when I'm broken then I'm not going to give you me at my best cuz you don't deserve it and that's led to you know tons of friendships just ending do you feel like and this- you know I- oh sorry <laughs> go ahead no, go i was going to say do you feel like um you know through this challenging time in your life do you feel like you've kind of like seen people's true colors so to speak where it's like oh, yes yeah people were present when you're like fun and loving ramona who is mm-hmm. you know being there for them and not having flare-ups and whatever but when you're in your most vulnerable state and you might need to like cry on a shoulder or depend on someone, do you feel like, you know, the room has scattered, like the roaches were in the room and you turn on the lights and they all just like, they they all disappeared. Yeah. It's like a straight up scatter. Like I remember, you know, once I had to get um, the flare up from January, ended up in the ER, um, had to get on prednisone that, put my white blood count into overdrive and because I'm already on the methyltrexate and my immune system is basically suppressed which is because it's acting like chemo right so it's attacking everything including the good stuff the good stuff so for about a month I was walking around using a face mask anytime that I went into a doctor's office or I went on the train or I went on the bus just to be you know just to have the caution because I was already feeling so weak that I didn't want to, by chance, catch something. And again, silence. Like I've been able to connect with people in like Montana that are like, shit, girl, like I saw like you're walking around with this mask and I'm like really feeling for you. And, you know, we we both have this illness and, you know, there's someone right now on Instagram that I've never met in person, but he's going through what I'm going through. And just wake up tomorrow because if you wake up tomorrow that means you can get out of bed tomorrow but again people that I have known my entire life have been completely absent and you know it takes and a special kind of person to they're worse and not turn away so I'm getting to the point now where I don't hate them for it I'm actually grateful that they that weakness didn't stay around because what I need when I'm feeling vulnerable, you need to just pull your chair away. But it's also 
difficult and it's also heartbreaking to, you know, be my age and be attractive and be, be educated and be smart and feel like I cannot find a lot of people to pull into my tribe or a lot of people that date or a lot of people that I can be in a relationship with romantically speaking, because you just don't have what it takes. Um, and I think that's another part of having a chronic illness that a lot of people don't talk about. The fact that I know this is going to be taxing on someone else. And it takes, yeah. And it takes a lot to deal with this. So if you're not stronger than me, I, I can't carry you along because I'm already carrying myself along. Um, so I would say that's another, in addition to like having to be your own advocate and accepting, you know, people's weaknesses along with yours, it's that realization of like, you just don't have the time or the energy. And I think this past year, I just didn't have the energy anymore. And I just said, fuck it. And I dropped them. I have like a burning question for you. Do Mm -hmm. you feel like, and maybe I'm. I feel like this. I definitely have gone through this. Dealing with sciatica since college, I would miss full days of school. I would stay in my dorm room and I would just literally cry in bed because I couldn't move. Um, and sometimes yeah. I would just lay on the, like the bathroom floor. I had like a bathroom inside my room. And I'd like, I'd text like my room. I'd be like, hey, if you come in and you see me on the floor, I'm okay. Um, not dying. I'm just, I feel like I'm dying, but I'm not dying. So don't be concerned because it would just be chronic, chronic all the time. But I felt now that I'm older and I've been dealing with this situation for now 10 years plus, and I'm with a partner that I've been with for five years with my boyfriend. I feel like when I have those flare ups of sciatica or even with the gastritis or anything that's a chronic condition, I almost sometimes feel like I'm a burden. Like, I feel like I'm burdening you. I've had this issue before you came into the picture. We're now together Mm -hmm. for this long. And I even feel like this with my family, but I mean, they're my family. So it's a little, they can, they have to tolerate it. Yeah. They can't leave. They can't leave. (laughs) But like, you know, you don't want to be this person who's like, I'm in Mm -hmm. the way, I'm in the, oh, it hurts. Oh, this, and it's like, there's no, there's no blood. You know what I mean? There's no blood oozing out of your body to be like, this is an emergency. All you, they can yeah. go based off of is she's saying that it hurts. <laughs> so if my mm-hmm. question is for you is like, do you ever feel those moments where you're like, I don't want to complain because I feel like I'm a burden. I feel like I'm a broken record at this point. Yes. I think that um, is a daily struggle for me. Um, I, like I said, like I don't tell, I live with my mom and my grandma and I don't tell them until I need to be in bed. Because there's a certain amount of um, shame of like, I'm supposed to be the child. I'm supposed to be strong. I'm supposed to be not needing you. And yet I need you. Um, I think romantically, it's been a huge problem. Um, And I was in a relationship at the time. And the relationship began, my symptoms were not as severe. And halfway through the relationship, I think part of it was the stress of being in that relationship. I got so much worse and then added you know, the responsibility of being a parent to that. And that made things even worse. Um, I felt like such a burden. 
And I remember, you know, this is something when I talk about why that relationship ended, I remember at one point being really aware of the fact that I could not continue to work in the type of job that I had because the job that I had was very stressful. Um, I worked for the Department of Defense. Before that, I had worked for the FBI. Like, I had always held these really, like, amazing positions, but they had always taken a toll on me physically. And I said to him, like, you know, we move and we wanted to relocate to Virginia. Would it be okay with you if I didn't work and I focused on finishing my master's? And he was like, oh, I'd have to think about that. And I was like, this? <laughs> like, you got you got what? And in that moment, like, I realized, you know, looking back, I can be, I can have a clearer and more mature response to this. But I knew that when I asked him that question, he was doing math in his head. And he was already seeing, like, is this something that I really want to carry? And in the moment, my response was, well, I got to think about this relationship. Real Cardi B with it. Because I was like, I can't be with somebody. I got to think about whether or not you're going to carry me. I don't need exactly. to be with you. But now it's like, it, you are a burden to that person. And after that relationship, I mean, I, I waited five years to date again. And then when I went back into the dating pool, I ended up dating someone that I had dated in the past. Because that person already wanted me enough or loved me enough to take me anyway because I was too hesitant to go out into the world and try to find someone else or a new person and convince them of, you know, I'm worth being carried because that's really what you have to do. You have to convince someone when you have a chronic illness that the investment of time that they're going to make is worthwhile. And I just didn't feel like making that argument. So I picked, you know, long, low hanging fruit because it got to the point where I had been single for five years and I wanted to date and I wanted to be with someone. But you are a burden. And you have, to, I think you have to accept that to a certain extent. And I'm not saying that like, you have to overcompensate, but I am saying that luckily I am good looking <laughs> and I am funny and I'm good in a crowd. But if I wasn't, like if I was fair, if I, was, if I had an attitude, <laughs> if I had stank breath and a chronic illness like that's a lot I mean, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a lot to take on you know so it's like you do have to a chronic illness does force you to become more of who you are and hopefully who you are is a better person because the friends that I have been able to keep and the friendships and relationships that I've developed you know they see me now as my whole self they understand that if I'm like, yeah, I can't make it to your, you know, barbecue or your event because I just don't have it in me to make it. But when I do make it, I'm 100% there. And me at 100%, I'm pretty fucking awesome. You are, by the way. Completely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But, it, you know, you got to, like, take that into account. Like, if you're not going to be 100% you and 100% great, is that investment that the other person has to make, especially if it's a relationship or a marriage or like a lifelong partnership, is that something worthwhile? And then that forces me to say that I need to be myself completely. 
So I have to be my sarcastic self. And maybe tomorrow I will. Maybe tomorrow I'll make some banging chicken and like cook some good dinner. But today, like, you need to go to McDonald's and like not talk to me. And I think it takes a certain amount of strength to be able to be a partner for someone that's going to be that honest. And I haven't found that person. Yeah. I wonder if there's uh, like dating sites or communities for people who can date each other who have chronic illnesses. Now, would you date someone else who has a chronic illness? It doesn't have to be the same exact one. It could be one that's maybe lesser than yours, that's lesser, you know. I think I could. Um, I don't know, like, the bruja in me kind of always thought that I would end up with a child with um, special needs. I remember being very young and thinking, like, when I do have a child, this is going to be a child that's going to have special needs. So... I think I could be with someone that is challenged. Like, I'd love a disabled veteran. Like, you have banging healthcare. <laughs> You're going to understand me. Like, that would be ideal. Um, but I think it, it's also, like, hard to be with someone um, emotionally, right? That you're this vulnerable and this upset all the time because you're also pissed. Like, I get angry yeah. a lot because I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening today? Why do I feel like that? Um, and some of the guys that I know that have this illness have been able to find partners. Um, but I, because I kind of identify more with a guy because I feel like my personality, I have a lot of testosterone. Um, but I can kind of see how, like, it would be hard to be with a man that is going through what I'm going through. Because men are super dramatic. And you'd be laid out on the floor because, like, you broke a nail. And I'm like, if you were dealing with this kind of pain every day, like, how would you cope? But, yeah, I yeah. think I'd be okay with it. I don't know that there is, like, a service like that. Um, the Facebook groups, there's one for only women, and that's the one that I've stayed with. I left the one that was co-ed um, because I felt that some of the issues that I started seeing with um, ankylosing spondylitis and then with being on Humera... Uh, started affecting my cervix a lot and some of the women brought it up in the co-ed group and then the conversation moved over to the all women's group um so I just stayed with them but like a lot of the women that ended up doing Humera end up with like endometriosis um and the so even have... more more chronic conditions yes. more chronic illnesses yes yes like I For developed any... endometriosis last year no the year before yeah. Um, early last year, and I had to have cervical surgery. And, and a lot basically of women... for, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. for our listeners who um, don't know what endometriosis is, um, do you want to just give a little background, like how it affects your uterus? Yeah, so basically endometriosis is like watching the movie Carrie every month, <laughs> and that's like your period. <laughs> so you basically, your body no longer has a normal period for me it went from like four days to now seven to ten um it gets very heavy it's very painful um I remember like being young and like never never feeling bloated like I would just get my period and be like oh I gotta wear a tampon and now it's like you're buying super size and you're dealing with like overnight pads and you're dealing with like a whole other layer of your period and I think medically, you build a thicker lining, which makes your period longer, heavier, and more painful. Um, 
And some of the women that started developing those symptoms then ended up getting polyps. So like I started getting um, cervical polyps. So I had to have surgery to have that removed last year. And in the conversations that I was having leading up to the surgery, some of the women were like, yeah, that's how, how I started. And then I ended up having to have a hysterectomy. Oh and God. I'm like, wait, what? And th- these are all people that have been on Humira. Um, so I, I don't know medically if there's a connection, but I saw that one woman posted it and none of us saw the connection until she posted it. And oh, she wow. was like, have any of you been feeling like since you got on Humira, like your period's different? And then it just became like this like 300 comment thing where we were like, oh my God, are you serious? Yeah. And then after that, and I moved to the female group, it was like, yeah, I had to have surgery. I had to have, you know, my cervix removed. I had to have everything removed. And you're just like, is there a connection? And then that made me question Humera even more. Um, so, yeah, I think it, like you said, sometimes the treatments for chronic illnesses, the side effects are so severe that you then end up developing all these other labels. And I don't know how much of my issues have come from this is what my body truly is going through and how much of it has come from this is what we think is going to fix this issue because so many of my treatments have led to another problem coming forward that you're just like was it just slowly coming or did something cause this like last year I started getting um, issues in my salivary glands and in my eyes and then got hit with the label of like Srogen's disease which is another chronic illness oh my god and so it has just, no cure so they just keep finding layers and layers and layers and yes. possibly these layers which are just developing now could have just been caused by the medication that is helping you deal with prior with something conditions. else so like okay. i'm on um, one of the things i'm on is cymbalta so cymbalta helps me a ton with my left hip pain but then it causes some dry eye So for like 10 years, I would get um, sick every fall. And I would just say, oh, you know, it's allergies. I get asthma. Then I get like a really bad cough. And then I would do antibiotics for seven days. This last year, that happened like three times. And I was like, this is not normal. And then when I ended up going to an ENT specialist, they found that I actually had developed a stone in my salivary gland. And it was already half an inch. So they're like, that's been there for like 10 years. Wow. So every year I was suppressing it with taking antibiotics, not realizing that the stone was just growing more and more and more. So then I had to have surgery for that. And they're like, yeah, this means that for the last 10 years, you haven't been producing saliva like a normal person. And because your saliva has thickened because of the inflammation in your body, the stone formed. And I was like, what? So then that tells me that biologically speaking, 10 years ago, inflammation was already run, running around my body, causing havoc, and I didn't even know it. But That's then insane. I didn't notice it until my Cymbalta started making my eyes really dry. So it's like one thing triggered another, and it's like how much of it was already there, and how much of it is just fuckery, which is what I like to call symptoms. <laughs> That's a great word for your symptoms. <laughs> fuckery. It's like fuckery. So, yeah. Uh, that's intense. Um, just, I mean, had you not even had the the dry eyes and not gone to the doctor to kind of check that, you would 
possibly just still have that that stone there, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh my goodness, that is that's yeah. I can't even because <laughs> that could have just continued growing. That could have just ro- you know snowballed into more. Other um, issues, yeah. Other issues. And I mean, I remember being in Hawaii and like telling my PCP, and he was also very um, forward thinking. And at the time, I would get acupuncture, I would do physical therapy, I would do um, myofascial therapy, which is like a type of massage therapy. So I remember telling him a couple times, like, you know, there's times like where like I cough and like I feel like something's in my throat and it just like, my throat would get itchy and like, it'd be weird. And he'd be like, you know, it's kind of difficult to tell what that is. And like the grossest part of it was like, sometimes I would cough and I would cough like little pieces of the stone. Oh, wow. And I remember like at one point saving it, saving a little piece and like taking it to my PCP and being like, this is what keeps coming out when I cough. Like, is this, what, what is this? And he's like, I have no idea. Like, it could be a million things. Like, maybe something was stuck in your tooth. And me being like, what the hell is this? And then here we are, seven, six years later, and we're finding that that was the stone. Every time I would cough, it would be such a force that some of it would actually come out. But because it was half an inch long, it was too big for me to cough it out. So they had to cut in and, like, remove it. But yeah, hot mess. Entertainment. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, well, I, last question I have for you, and mm-hmm. it is, well, what now that you have all these conditions, now that you have a community behind you to help you um, possibly cope with, you know, the day to day when someone in your family or even friends can't, you know, help you out. Um, what do you see in your future? Like, do you see possibly you getting better? Do you see just being stagnant? Do you see anything staying the same? Like what, or at least what do you hope to see in your future? Um, I think what I want for my future is to reach a point where I can do whatever I want to do on a given day and not be concerned with anything derailing me. So I want to be able to wake up and not be concerned. Like I wake up and I have to think about, you know, what clothes am I going to wear? Cause you don't want it to stop my movement. I need to be able to move as freely as possible to not trigger a spasm. I want to not think about what shoes I put on because I have to think like in the morning, okay, like how much are you doing today? Like how many appointments do you have? How much walking are you going to do? Are you going to take medical transportation or are you going to take the bus? And all those things dictate everything down from the jacket I wear because then it has to be lighter because if I put something on that's too heavy, it fatigues me. Um, And then I have to think about the shoes, like what heel can I wear? What am I going to tolerate? So it's like all these things that I think someone without a chronic illness just gets up in the morning and is like, what do I want to wear? I kind of feel like pink. And they just pull shit out the closet. And if it looks cute, they walk out the door. Like, I want to be able to do that. I want to wake up in the morning and I just want to put something on and go about my day and not have to think so much about everything. So I'm looking into natural medicine. I'm looking into 
um, different options. I don't think methotrexate is the correct answer for me. Um, I'm only at six pills, which is super low. Um, and it's not even supposed to be a trace and it's not supposed to be affecting me. And I'm completely debilitated. And, you know, I've been feeling like crap for about a week now. So that means that this is the conversation that now I need to have with my doctor. And hopefully I find a naturalist that I can, you know, start working with and work towards not thinking as much. But I think if I had, if I could wake up in the morning and not think about every detail, I could do so much. Like I could take over the world if I didn't have to worry about my shoes not hurting after two hours. I think you would be president, my honest opinion. <laughs> my honest opinion, you would be president. Ramona Ferreira for president. That would 2020. be fun. I mean, politics is one of the things that I'm actually looking into because I feel like um, the level of personal experiences that I've had came after I developed myself professionally. And I think that that was a blessing because I was able to complete my master's and do my executive education and have amazing job experiences and then was hit with all of this. And I think a lot of people that I encounter that are in my position where I'm on public assistance and I'm waiting on disability, they can't advocate for themselves because they didn't have that. They haven't been gifted the opportunity of education that I had. So when I go into rooms and I go to testify and I go to advocate and I do social justice programs, I am very aware of who we are, this group of people that walk around looking normal, but feeling like they're dying every day, but I'm capable of communicating it very differently. And I think I need to use that. I think that's a gift. And I think you need to use it for sure. Um, I mean, if not you, who else is it going to be? And, and it seems like there hasn't been a lot of, not at, least in the public, at least not in the public eye, there hasn't been, <laughs> there hasn't been anybody, you know what I mean? There hasn't been people no. who are really um, advocating for those who are dealing on a day-to-day with chronic illnesses and conditions. Because we like a story, you know, we like the story of like, oh, you know, something happened to her in a moment and it was fixed. But we don't like telling stories of this is what you're going to be for the rest of your life. It's just not satisfying. That's really deep right there. That's like <laughs> super, super deep. Super, super deep. And on that note, on that deep ass note, um, what is one word that you can say um, why uh, chronic illness is a condition? So one word that makes chronic illness a taboo. Um, the invisibility of it invisibility yeah that's that is that would be a perfect word yeah invisibility (laughs) i wholeheartedly agree on that one um ramona thank you so 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 much um for oh i'm so glad we finally got to do this (laughs) i know i know it was amazing and i hope that this story can touch like whoever listens in and like is feeling shitty and feeling down and feeling like no one understands them 
I hope they know that Ramona understands you and I understand yeah. you because chronic illnesses and conditions is a real thing. Um, and hopefully yeah. maybe we can do like a part two on this in the future with maybe about medications and opioid crisis and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. That'd be a good talk. Awesome. Great. So thank you so much for having, having on my show and hopefully we'll, we'll hear from you soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye.